All right, everyone, and welcome back to the Effort Over Everything podcast. I'm your host, Jason Klepa, and on today's episode, the boys are back. Gabe Yanez, Matt De La Valle, we're diving into a variety of different subjects, including, you know, life on a farm and oat milk, jujitsu, our previous CrossFit experience, our background competing, what our training looks like today, along with just a bunch of other life stuff. If you've been following NC Fit, if you've been part of our journey, you definitely know who these two guys are. And I love talking to them, riffing about different subjects. And that's exactly what this episode's about. So I hope you have a great day. I hope life is going awesome. Hope you're crushing it in your business and all other areas. Now let's dive into an amazing episode with Gabe and MDV. Let's go. So you guys are on what day 24, day 25 of um, 75 hard? Day 24, yeah. So what have you guys been doing? One third of the way in. Um, Well, the the program is from our buddies over at First Form. Uh, Andy Frazella came up with it and they've done it over there uh, with their team and uh, their community. So it's a challenge lifestyle challenge that involves two 45 minute workouts a day. One of them has to be outside. Uh, you have to follow some sort of diet. You have to drink a gallon of water a day. There's no booze. So you can't drink. Uh, there's no cheat meals involved. So whatever your diet is, you can't cheat on your diet. You have to read 10 pages per day of some sort of self-development or leadership or, uh, kind of educational book can't be fiction. And then you have to take one progress picture a day. So that's the 75 hard one third down, baby. So what's been the hardest part of it? Gabe, you want to go first and then I can give my, yeah. Story. Yeah. I mean, it, it's funny. Cause Ariel asked me that yesterday. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I there's nothing that's been particularly difficult, I guess, from like a, I enjoy doing all those things. Like I have always been someone that like, just, thrives on a routine and consistency. Like if there are no like moving pieces, like trips, traveling, people coming in, like I enjoy like doing the same thing every single day and like feeling good about it. Like it, when something throws me off, that's like what I don't enjoy. So, I mean, I've been super fortunate that like, you know, things have been semi-stable and so I just enjoy all that stuff. But I think the hardest thing to get done just in terms of like, it wasn't something that I was doing before is the read 10 pages actually. Um, you know, I, I like read a lot of like articles and I'm always like online, I'm always reading stuff on my phone, but actually committing to like 10 pages of a book has been a little bit different. And I always save it for at night and like, man, I'm like five pages in and I'm like, I, asleep. Yeah. Dude, my, my eyelids are just like, they're like, no, you will fail. And I find <laughs> myself like rereading like paragraphs and paragraphs and I get it done. So I guess from like a, get it done standpoint. That's just been the toughest one. And maybe I can do it earlier in the day and make my life a little bit easier, but the rest of the stuff I've been enjoying, just yeah. enjoying the consistency of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's really a lesson in time management. Um, you know, if, if you're able to really buckle down or look at your day and get up at the time that you need to get up or just prioritize the things in the challenge during times when you normally might be either relaxing or, might be uh, doing something that's outside of work, you know, some other leisure activity, whatever it is, watching Netflix or something like that. You can get all of this stuff done. It's, it's really not incredibly challenging in my opinion. You know, the, the two workouts, 
The only time it gets really hard with the two workouts is if it's uh, a really, really challenging like jujitsu day or a really tough like training day. And then I put off the other 45 minute outdoor workout, which is always for me a walk with my dog. And it ends up being like bad weather outside later in the day. Then that's a little bit like challenging where it's like, I don't want to go outside and walk for 45 minutes in the rain. And I've only had to do that one time, luckily so far, but, um, that's really been the toughest part of the whole thing. And if I had put more restriction on my diet, I think it would be harder. Like if I was counting macros or if I was doing something like keto or carnivore, I'm simply eating no sugar and I'm not eating after 9 PM. So for me, those were two things that I wanted to clean up in my own diet because uh, I eat pretty uh, healthfully otherwise. But if I was being more restrictive, I bet the diet would be a bit more challenging for me. Yeah, dude, we got to check back in with you guys like at day 50 and then day 75 and see if you're, any of this changes, you know? Like, I mean, you're 25 days in, so it's your third of the way there. I imagine you already know if you guys are going to fail or not. You'd probably already know today. Uh, it's compounding. I don't know. It's tough to tell because – you're going to, it's going to start getting into time that is a little bit more, um, it's probably a little tougher to hold up some of this stuff. Like July 4th is going to come up and we're going to have the oh, challenge go through the 4th of July. And then I think there's just going to be some like, uh, natural fatigue in, Oh, I don't want to do this anymore where, you know, uh, I've already done 60 days or 50 days or whatever. Why can't I just have X, Y, or Z, or I don't want to go out for this walk. I think that's going to be the most wearing part of it. Other than that, I don't, it's really not that hard if you're able to time manage. So yeah, why did you guys decide to do this? I'm just curious. I mean, like it doesn't, I mean, what's the reason for doing this? MBV asked me and I can never say no. <laughs> that's, that's my reason. <laughs> so MBV is like, Hey, we should do this. And you're like, all right, let's do it. I've never done anything like this. Yeah. For that long. Yeah. And 75 days, a long time. For sure. I've done every 30 day challenge under the sun, you know, to different degrees of success, but I never did something that it was this long and had that many things that I had to do per day. And I thought it was just a cool challenge. It's, it's discipline and uh, just making sure you get those things done. Yeah. I mean, I love the fact that it's 75 days. Cause I feel like, you know, the, the, the 30 day challenge, um, to me, you know, it's it just, it's done so many times. And I really don't think it's enough time to like really understand the change that you can have with, you know, some smaller habits, you know, all these things don't add up to something incredible. They can, but I think they really add up to something meaningful once you get past that two month time period. So I love the idea for the first time, like you said, MDV, like, you know, being this consistent with something for that long and really seeing how I, feel, look, and how it impacts other parts of my life. You know, one thing that I think is really cool that happens a lot when people start working on, on, on good habits is you almost start to get motivated to like add on to it. You know, like one thing that we didn't agree with in the beginning, like it wasn't part of my diet, but that I had been doing before and I feel good when I do it, but I kind of slipped off on it was intermittent fasting. I feel good when I don't have anything until around noon. Like I feel super clear headed, super focused in the morning. And I got into this habit of 
like on days where I was going to do like strength training, I would have like a macro bar in the morning, like a sweet bar. And that turned into like doing it a couple days a week to doing it every single day. And once I started doing this, I was like, Hey, like I'm being so good. Why don't I go back to doing that? So I think that it's cool. And I think that this is a really powerful thing for people that are trying to work healthy habits in is there is this compounding effect also to like, when you feel like you're doing something good, you almost, once that gets comfortable, you almost start to like, well, what else can I work on? Mm -hmm. And I think that that's where a lot of magic happens in like these longer term commitments, because you know, the motivation that you're doing something that's making you feel better almost makes you want to, okay, what else can I do to feel even a little bit better? And that's not going to be for everyone, but I've definitely felt that. Um, and it's been, it's been cool to, to kind of like see it evolve past even what we agreed to in the beginning of this. Yeah. That's definitely a cool aspect of it. I also think the, um, just the buckling down for something like this and the accountability of having somebody else doing it with me has been really important because there, there have definitely been times when I was like, ah, you know what, if I was doing this on my own, I've trained really hard today. I've I'm hungry. You know, I should just have whatever is in the pantry right now. And, you know, having Gabe in this challenge with me has been a motivating factor to be like, you know what, I, I have to, get through these 75 days and deal with this little bit of discomfort. The other really cool part is that in 20, 25 days or so, I've read two books that I otherwise might have read at some point, but haven't, haven't dusted off from my bookshelf because there's just been other stuff going on or like I'll choose another activity or whatever. So two books down in, you know, a handful of weeks is, is big, I think for anybody who, is looking to, you know, substitute maybe a different habit with reading uh, 10 pages a day, crank through 250 pages. You know, the other day I was, um, I, I knew I was going to go to jiu-jitsu in the evening, right? I, I knew I, I was, I committed to it earlier in the day and there's a seven o'clock class. And normally I don't like, I don't like training that late um, for, for a variety of reasons. One of them is that I can't go to sleep um, because I'm just too, amped up too ready to go after that. But the other one is you have all day and you just start dreading it a little bit. And it's funny because, um, you know, I think there's people who might think like that every day I'm just constantly excited to go work out. And I love to work out in the mornings and just get it done or midday, but it's when you have it in the evening and you have all day to create these excuses, it gets pretty tough. And I imagine for 75 hard, it's the same thing. You can find so many opportunities throughout the day to create excuses of why you aren't going to go do it. But then you feel great when you actually get it done for that day. Um, so having that accountability partner is awesome. Yeah, it's a big part. I have a question for you, MDB, that you know, kind of ties into all this that we're doing. And I think it, it's, it's something that's relevant to, to hopefully the people tuning in. You know, we're working out every single day, every single day for 75 days, two workouts. So, I mean, you know, a lot of people will say like, well, what, where's your rest day? right? Like, are you beating yourself to the ground for 75 days? Like what, I I guess, how do we talk about this? Like what seems like a hard, fast rule of you need to have a day where you're not doing everything or else you're like doing a detriment to your body. Yeah. I I think in the past I would have looked at this and said that that was crazy that doing two 45 minute minute workouts every day for 75 days is probably not a good idea for most people. And my mindset on that has shifted significantly over the years where now I look at it and going, 
if you're not really moving your body for an hour or 90 minutes a day in some way, shape or form, you're probably doing yourself some sort of disservice at some level because as human beings, we're made to move. So I think that for 75 hard in particular, the two workouts a day for 45 minutes is like the e one of the easier things that I've been able to check off the list because one 45 minute workout for me, like I said earlier, is walking my dog. So I go out and, and I walk that that is a workout for me outdoors. I'm walking for 45 minutes, whether or not I walk with a rucksack on or I walk without a rucksack on walking is moving, which is working out. The other 45 minute workout for me per day is either an NC fit workout, jujitsu, strength training, accessory work from NC fit, or I'm hopping on the, the Peloton and a more traditional workout, but varying degrees of intensity. If I'm feeling beat up from four or five days of training hard, I'll, I'll do an NC fit recovery workout, or I'll do a Peloton recovery ride or something along those lines. So it's, it's not 75 days of max intensity at 90 minutes per day. And that's really not for me, the definition of working out anymore. The definition of working out has shifted for me over the years. I think it's almost like a CrossFit support. Like you need like a CrossFit support group <laughs> to better understand working out after going through 10 plus years of it. Because for so many years, I thought working out was just fucking smashing myself yeah. through lying on the ground afterwards for exactly. yeah. yeah. It doesn't have to be that way. Well, you know, it's wow. interesting, Gabe, that you bring that up. And, and, and I think the 75 heart is a good example, but it's weird because back in the day, if you said, Hey, did you do two workouts today? And if it was a 45 minute walk with your dog, I wouldn't consider that a workout. I wouldn't for many years. Right. Um, and I, I mean, you could have different perspectives on what a workout is or not, but I think MDV is clarifying it really well. It's just mute movement. And I think for a long time, it was like, Hey, how many rest days did you get this week? And it was always three days on one day off and you'd kind of smash yourself. You would need that rest day. But I found myself, even when I was competing that the rest days became more of like a lower intensity day, maybe just a sort of flow, you know, a rowing day or a jog day or whatever it is. But like for my training now, I just got a question yesterday. The guy goes, Hey, so I know you do a bunch of CrossFit style workouts. I know you do jujitsu all the time. When do you take rest days? And I was thinking about it. And I don't really ever, I haven't for a long time just done zero, right? I, and, mm -hmm. it, but my body feels better when I go and do stuff. And I think that we need to, there's a misconception. I think you need to regulate the intensity, but not necessarily just turn off the, the faucet all the way. Hmm. I definitely, sorry, Gabe. I, I definitely struggle more with this concept mentally than physically. I, yeah. Mentally, it's much harder for me to say, if I only weight lift now, three days a week versus in the past, I was weightlifting six days a week, sometimes seven days a week, you know, th weightlifting through whether it was CrossFit or more traditional weightlifting kind of stuff that feels to me like not enough. It's really hard for me to be like, okay, I, I can get benefits from strength training. If I only strength train three days a week and do jujitsu three days a week. And then, you know, I'm walking every day and doing Peloton one or two times, whatever, like it's still a lot of fitness, but there's that, there's that like insecurity that I have in my own head that I'm not going as hard with the barbell. So I'm not feeling as fit. I don't know if any of that is true. It's just what I feel. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I think it's one of the, or at least for me, and I, I, I think that it's happened for, for a lot of people, you know, one of the positives that has come out of, you know, the, the, the pandemic, the closures, gym being closed is, you know, kind of, also redefining the fact that like 
you know, a workout specifically in like the CrossFit functional fitness space. Like if you don't have the equipment to do it exactly, if you don't have like, you know, the ability to follow it as written for some reason, you're like missing out on the intention of that workout. And, you know, for a long time, when gyms first closed down, like I wanted to keep following NC fit programming, but I could only do it with like the one pair of dumbbells I had. And just like being okay with, you know, after 10 years of the type of training that we did and everything being so closely tied to the score, right? It's like the score is the workout. And like, that is what you got out of it. Being able to be like, well, I'm changing every part of this workout because I don't have the equipment and that's fine. So like, yes, my score isn't going to compare to what everyone else might be doing, but like, that's not necessarily what it's about, right? Like I still moved in those movement patterns. I still, you know, worked out the specific, you know, body parts that we wanted to in that workout. And that's so much more important than like the score, not counting because I changed so much. Yeah. I'm wondering if Jason feels the same way. I I feel that, but you know, with CrossFit, I think, and I've talked about this in other podcasts and, and articles and stuff like that. This idea that CrossFit has to be so fundamental, like it has to be this. If it's not this, then it's not CrossFit. If it's not a barbell, if it's not pull-up, if it's not max intensity, then it's not CrossFit. I think, first of all, that whole concept for me is a little bit strange. The other thing is that it's very weird to me that CrossFit, for some reason, and I, I, I think I understand some of the reasons why, but I'm curious what you guys think. For some reason, when you get into this and you get deep into it, CrossFit functional training, you go to a group style gym, it sometimes shuts off some of the other stuff in your life that you would look at as being like productive physical activity. Like you just start, and I think Jay, we, we might've talked about this at some point, you start working out just to work out more. Oh yeah, we definitely talked about and that. And it, yeah. it gets really difficult to untangle yourself from that mess sometimes. Yeah. I mean, we talked about that. And I think it's different if you want to go compete in the sport of CrossFit and the CrossFit games, but if you're just, you know, if you're going into the gym, you, you should be having wide exposures to different things. You should be trying new things. You should be getting outside. You should be riding bikes. You should be doing these things. And it's like, that's, that's a big part of it. And I think you're right. Like there's a, there's quite a few people who, who work out just with the desire to work out more. And I think that's fine as long as you know where that kind of plays a role in your life. But I think the key is you know, what are these workouts doing for you? Whether they're improving your health, they're allowing you to go outside, they're allowing you to do things with your kids. You should be exploring more of that because it'll keep it more fun for a lot longer. And, you know, for me, like regulating this intensity and in the way that I'm training right now has been really a great, like yesterday I took class. I take class pretty often at the gym, probably about three, two, three days a week and um, in class. And then on my own, I train. And so it's nice because I get different looks. Like sometimes I'm in class, sometimes I'm not, sometimes I'm doing jiu-jitsu. And this variety is a great way for me to feel like consistently inspired after doing this for, you know, 20 years. I mean, it's, it's, it's nice to switch it up. Like yesterday we were doing this clean complex and this row workout and it's just, the environment was great. The vibe was right. And so I just, I pushed it super, super hard. Sometimes, you know, I'm not feeling at the same intensity and that's okay. You know, it's Mm -hmm. been hard. That's been a hard pill to swallow and not every day you have to just lay on the floor. Um, That's been something I've struggled with, but I'm getting more clarity now. I think that's been another, excuse me, mindset shift for me too. And maybe that's because like, I am just naturally getting closer to like that point in my life. But I feel like an overplayed thing that always gets said, but just like never resonated with me was like, you're training to be able to like do these things with your kids in the future. Right. Um, And I think that like, as I get closer to that point in my life, like that kind of like, like that is something that I'm now thinking about. 
And so training for me becomes more about like feeling good and being able to move. Whereas, you know, before I remember my knee used to hurt so much that like, you know, yes, I could work out and I was more fit back then. But like, I also like, you know, like sitting down for a long time would be super uncomfortable. Like that shouldn't be something that's happening when you're in your twenties. And it's so crazy to think that like I accepted that and I was perfectly okay with it because I was like, you know, putting out better scores in the gym. But now like, it's all about just like I, no pain, being comfortable and being able to do all the things that I have to do. Well, you're doing a lot of things on the farm, right? So I got a question about the farm. This is oh, totally the farm. So dude, you put up a post the other day about like this regenerative farm and you know. It, it, oh, we can go down a rabbit uh-oh. hole here. Uh-oh. It seemed a little, it was a borderline like kind of, uh, I don't know. It was like, it was basically like, hey, we're, we're, we're regenerative experts and we're going to regenerate this, this farm. So where are you getting your information from farming? And then what are the goals of it? Because basically, yeah, talk to me more about farming because yeah, I'm very so, excited about this, just like I am. Oh, dude, dude, so, so passionate about it. And, you know, I, I think that this all came from like, you know, Ariel and my like journey to like, we've always been trying to like make ourselves healthier and make the people around us healthier. And that's naturally why we fell into fitness. And that naturally evolved into like why food is so important because Fitness is important, but food is incredibly important. And I think that, you know, there's a way now to change how we grow our food that isn't taking away from everything that we need, which is healthy soil, a healthy environment and a healthy planet, and can actually create food in a way that like promotes all three of those things. And that's essentially what like, you know, farming, how we used to farm years ago is. It's just, you know, letting animals be raised the way that they used to in nature. It's not having farms where it's just endless, endless rows of corn that then, you know, get turned into this food over here or get fed to this, you know, ranch over here that only does pigs and it's pigs and for like endless acres. It's actually growing food where in whether you have a small five acre homestead or you are a big scale farmer, like you have animals and crops growing together in a way that resembles how things were supposed to be, which is the solution to one of the bigger um, contributors to, to, to climate change that, that we have now. And man, I've spent more time than I'd like to admit, like going down these rabbit holes, but I'm super passionate about it. And the post that I put out, I've, I think that, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, millennials, my generation get, you know, dumped into this bucket about being like, you know, kind of like head in the cloud dreamers um, and wanting to have a big impact. And I think there's some truth to that. And for me, like, it's always, I've always been drawn to like having a big impact. And I really do think that this is a way to do it. I have a question for you. So I, I I was listening to uh, one of Rogan's podcasts recently, and he was, um, he was saying something which I thought was really interesting. He was saying that he essentially has given up on this idea that you can have these humongous big systemic changes on like you can motivate the entire masses through um you know whether or not it's changing a a practice that you're doing or it's like you know with this one type of regenerative farming i'm not trying to twist his words or whatever he was saying but the the thrust of what he was saying was the fact that like he is going to do and say the things that he thinks are, you know, the, the right ways or the, the things that are most productive. And if he has an impact on the people who want to listen to him, that's great. But there's like no more of this 
dreaming head in the clouds type of thing where it's like, Oh, I'm going to change everybody's opinion on everything. He was, he was essentially saying it's just impossible. There, it's impossible to get everybody to eat a certain way, get everybody to farm a certain way, get everybody to do X, Y, or Z. So what's your take on that? Because that really, it kind of resonated with me where it was like, Hey, if I'm impacting people around me who want to change, who want to, you know, eat a certain way or live a certain way or have a certain mindset about fitness, I'd be like, yeah, that's awesome. But this idea that absolutely everybody out there is going to have their mind changed, it was a little bit like a farce, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I completely agree. I mean, I think that, you know, same way we know that everyone isn't going to do our type of training, even though we know that our type of training is incredibly efficient and fun and they're getting more bang for their buck than sitting on the elliptical for an hour. Like we know that, but that isn't going to stop us from trying to get as many people to do that type of training as possible. It's the same exact thing. Like this past weekend, and this was super cool. We actually had, you know, a group of nutrition coaches, three of them, reach out to Ariel on Instagram that they were just traveling through Austin. They got connected through some like common coaches and they just wanted to come out and like learn and volunteer. And that's exactly what we want to do as many weekends as possible. That's three people that literally left after spending three hours with us that like knew where they were going to get their eggs from now. That wasn't where they got their eggs from before, like understood what we were doing and were like actively asking for like, what are some brands that are doing this that we can now switch? Like that's three people that are now going to be buying their food. And also as nutrition coaches recommending that their clients buy food in a different way than they were before. And I think that sometimes just in general, we like, and, and you actually say this all the time, MDV, like we, we underestimate the impact that like, getting three people, maybe two weekends a month for an entire year, like the, the butterfly effect that that can have on really changing people is huge. Like everyone thinks that it's just, well, can I change everyone's minds or is it just not worth the effort mm-hmm. versus like, can I like chip away at this and do my part in something that I believe is right. And like, that'll magnify itself. Mm. No, that's a good, I mean, it's a good point and super interesting. And I, you know, and I had never really, thought about it in that regard. Like when you have these ideas that you think are great, you know, not necessarily thinking that everybody's going to change their mind, but impacting the people who, who are ready and willing to, to change. Can I, I got to ask another question, Matt. I think this is going to get Jason all triggered up here. Oh boy. Oh, what's, boy. what's the deal? I'm getting with, triggered. I'm getting triggered. Jason's definitely going to be triggered. The trigger one. This is, you know where I'm going. Yeah. Uh-huh. Why are you dissing on oat milk so much? Uh, uh, first of all, I don't drink shit in my coffee except drinking my coffee black. I've been doing that for about 10 years. So I have no dog in this fight, but I got to ask because you're dissing Oatly hard. I'm hey, telling I, got, I got, I got black coffee right here. Uh, Oatly, Oatly is the Coca-Cola of our generation, man. It's, it's lies and it's, it's really harming people. It's terrible stuff, dude. So, so like, <laughs> well, I, have to, I have to have to laugh because we're talking about oat milk here. And like, it's like, we just, all right, all right here, give me let, the scoop. Let, let, let me give you like super, super, like just, just high level. There are, um, seed oils are one of the things that like we should really avoid. And I highly encourage people to do their own research. Like don't take my word for it. I've done my own research and that's why I feel strongly about it. But if you just look up canola, sunflower, peanut, soybean oil, like those oils are incredibly inflammatory. And one thing that like really resonated with me, like 
if you're going to use an oil, it should be something that you could literally go up to squeeze it and then oil should come out, right? Like that is something that should be an oil. So think about avocados, coconuts, olives, like those oils are like meant to be consumed as oils. When you get into these seeds, like canola, sunflower, like you need very heavy machinery and chemical processes to make those into oils. They're incredibly cheap to make into oils, but they're just not fit for human consumption. Now, there's no problem with having nut-based milks if you can't do dairy well. That's perfectly fine. But a nut-based milk should be either oats or whatever it is and water. But companies like Oatly, to really make it creamy and taste like milk, what it ends up being is oats, canola oil, and water. That's it. So what you're drinking is grain water that becomes creamy with this really, really bad seed oils. And the the worst part is, and again, like the people that that are drinking these products have the best intentions, right? Like yeah, it's people that healthy. Yeah, I mean they they I don't do well with dairy. Like I'm trying to do something that's better for the environment. It tastes hella good. It's the best intentions, and it does taste good. <laughs> yeah. But it's the brands that really go out there and make this seem like it's this like healthier option, even though they absolutely know that it isn't that I have a real problem with. Um, and so I, I, I just think that it's, it's, it's one of the most poignant examples of like things being touted as being significantly healthier and better for the environment. And it's just, you can't do wrong if you're having oat milk instead of regular milk. And it's like so far from the truth. But there are some good nut milks out there. Malk, M-A-L-K, that's a great brand. But it's not going to taste as good because all it is is the cashew, the almond, the oat milk, and Himalayan sea salt. That's it. Mm. I always thought it was weird, man, with Whole Foods in particular. You go to their, their hot bar and every single item on the hot bar has canola oil in it. Yeah. Have nearly every single item. It's so strange, but it's all money. Canola oil is so cheap and it makes things taste good. It's horrible for you. And I just never understood why they dump that much canola oil into everything. It's another head scratcher for me. Sorry, Jay. Sorry to burst you your bubble on the Oatly. Level. No, no. I, I think it's a really interesting subject, not, not just from Oatly, but just in general, right? Because you have this, this um, free market, uh, capitalistic, uh, entrepreneurship. Um, there's this, there's this blend between trying to do better, right. And people who have a cause and whatnot, and then also having to blend that with running a sustainable business that's profitable. And I, it's, it's really interesting. Cause I, I imagine, and there's pros and cons, to everything. Like you could go out milk and say, Hey, all these cows that are generating, I just, the whole thing is very complex. I don't know how easy it is to say, Hey, Oatly is so much worse than traditional milk, I, I, right or wrong, without, oh, Gabe's shaking his head, without <laughs> saying, hey, well, traditional milk has these environmental impacts as well. Like, it's just, a, the whole situation is very complex. I, I think it's tough to talk in absolute sometimes. Um, 100%. But, yeah. Um, I, you know what I mean? 100%. And I think that that's what's important is like all of these conversations are incredibly nuanced and like it should require people having these conversations, doing their own research, trying different things. Um, but on, on the same you know, side of the argument, like that's why I have a problem with this being an absolute argument that like if you're drinking plant-based milks, you're like being healthier and doing the right thing for the environment because it is more complex than that. There are some plant-based milks that are doing right 
but the big ones, the ones that are doing great, the ones that have IPOs going out, like, and eh, not so good. Yeah. I mean, the only definitive, the only like concrete answer is coffee is the greatest be beverage on earth. I mean, there's really nothing else to debate about that. <laughs> oh, man. Do you really, do you want me to burst your bubble on coffee? Oh, my God. Don't even burst my bubble. No, don't burst my bubble. <laughs> I'm getting, okay, I, got some, I got some fresh Panamanian, I don't even know if that's a word, beans this morning. And uh, the well, guy said it's the best coffee in the world. I I'm going to take his word for it. Here's just like a real actionable piece of advice for, for people out there in case they're interested about coffee. There's actually not, there's nothing like wrong with coffee itself, but like just mass produced coffee is like one of the, and this has been tested is one of the like biggest sources for like um, the mold. essentially mold, mold toxins. Um, so one good thing to do is to like always buy single origin, like never buy blends. Like that's like the biggest red flag because blends are always like a good high quality for like a tiny percentage to officially make it a blend. And then like the worst, most mass produced beans to like, you know, kind of bulk it up and, and, and make it cheaper. So that's, that's a good kind of actionable tip there, but yeah, that's, that's the bummer on coffee. Yeah. I got that single origin. So the single, single origin, origin light roast, I'm ready to go. And I roast my own. <laughs> we yeah. can't get into mold toxicity and leaky gut. I just, I don't have it in me this morning to get into that stuff. Or how about the fact that Gabe <laughs> slept with it, uh, with tape on his mouth for like, a, for like two months. And it changed yeah, his sleeping habits. You oh, know, I really, I really had someone, the best intentions I, to try that. I just didn't. I'm telling you, man. I mean, I said you the screen, like it, it works for people. This is like a very documented thing. No, but again, yeah, <laughs> it only if like mouth breathing is like an issue for you, which it was for me all my life. So anyway, we don't need to get into that either. No. Um, you know, one of the, uh, can't bring us, bring us back to Stenner a little bit here. One of the funny things was I, um, <laughs> I lifted probably significantly heavy last night for one of the first times pulling off of the ground um, in a long time. You know, I used to lift heavy a lot more and I pulled last night some sumo deadlifts. I lost no strength, even in all of this, like uh, changing up my training, not lifting as much, like comparatively, my numbers were nearly the same to whatever, whatever they've been in the past. That's always really interesting to me. Like you think you're going to take some time off and it's going to go away and, you know, all the supplemental training, the dumbbells, those kind of things, doing all that other stuff. But it was all, it was all there last night, hands on the bar, chalk on the bar. It's really interesting how that works. There are some areas that I've seen uh, breakdowns. So like Olympic lifts uh, for me have, have remained relatively consistent, right? Like, um, I don't lift super, super heavy, but because of incorporating the hip drive and, and, and my positions are still okay and my movement, my patterns, I could still, like I cleaned 315 not that long ago, which is still a pretty decent clean. Um, but where I've seen my, weak, my strength, I mean, tremendously drop off is if I'm not squatting heavy on a consistent basis, it just drops off immediately. And my stamina at moderate loads just goes down the tank but you can gain it back pretty easily is, is like last night I was talking to a friend of mine and this guy ran track for Oregon and I was asking what his, what his best 800 was. And this guy says his best 800 was 152. And I'm like, bro, 152 is a good time for a 400. And so we're, we're talking about it and you know, he's like, he, he seems a little bummed. He's like, dude, I'm just out of shape. You know, I'm not where I was. And, you know, he's like maybe in his mid forties. I told him, I was like, dude, the best thing about what he has going for him is that he had this, this, this hedge that he built 
And then he fell off the wagon. But when he gets back into training, his body will react to it really quickly. And I try to inspire him and we'll see what happens. But I mean, I hopefully you guys see that same thing where you could fall off and come back and your body responds really quickly to it. 152 is flying. It's even, it's hard to imagine how fast you have to be running to hit that. And dude, he ran a 405 mile. He used to run the 13, uh, excuse me. 1500, I guess is in college, like 1500 is a pretty popular duration versus 1610, which is uh, a mile or whatever it is. And um, dude, he was in the threes in the 1500. And then I guess they are three something. And then I guess they add a certain, you know, number to his mile time was like a 405. And mm-hmm. that's just fast. Crazy, man. It's crazy what the human body is like capable of doing. Or the fact that for years people were trying to break the four minute mark. And now you have people that are breaking it on a regular basis. You know, I'm taking a friend to the track tomorrow and we're going to try and um, clock his, his mile time as a, as a kind of like a baseline. And it was interesting. The first time that I clocked my mile, like seriously, seriously was with Chris Hinshaw. And I really wanted to get my mile time down. So the first time I went out there, I think I ran a 605, but the reason why he was so interested in it was like my first lap was like, super fast. Second lap was moderate. And then all of a sudden it just tanked down. And so learning how to pace effectively was a game changer for me. Mm -hmm. Gabe, what's your fastest mile ever? Do you remember? I I never broke five minutes, but I came pretty close. I was like, I was like in the, in the, in the five teens. Yeah, me too. That was my lowest. Never got below into the, the four fifties was like untouchable, uh, type of speed but i was i was in like the 5 10 5 i think i ran a 505 at some point is this funny how was... five seconds is like a big you know i i think i ran oh, a, yeah. like a 527 i think was my fastest one um That's after training for a while but dude i mean but going from a 527 to a 505 like it doesn't sound that much it's like oh um, it's like 20 seconds but it's a long it's a that's a fast t- you know big difference no but that's impressive because when i ran like a five in the teens i was probably like a buck 55 a buck 60 you probably ran that 520 at like what at 190 195 yeah 527 uh at at uh at like two two oh eight um yeah i mean that's 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 a lot moving that's impressive yeah yeah watched a video this morning of uh uh noah olsen jerking 375 fairly easily i don't want to say it was 375 375 out of a rack for a pr i think his previous pr was 360 or 365 but it was on uh, instagram this morning it's just unbelievable how strong people are getting crazy 375 dude you're seeing an intersection of a few things right there's this intersection of technique is 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 kind of catching up with strength gains which is then catching up with more time allocated towards training and people are smarter recovery like and look people can make these arguments about steroids and stuff like that i i personally don't think when when i was in the game it wasn't a thing maybe now it is but i think you're just seeing these intersections of like years and years of training and developing of just all meeting together and people spending all day every day saying hey how do i recover better and train harder and learn more Mm. it was like a that's always like a disappointing thought that like you know just always creeps into people's head right like we just as soon as things start like challenging the norm of what's capable it's like you know you you almost have to shift to like 
what's going on there? Like, is oh, there yeah. extra, you know? Um, but it's a bummer because I'm sure some people are just working really hard and super freaking talented. And, you know, it almost gets ruined by the fact that some people have gotten caught, right? Like it is happening. Um, so it's a bummer that that always like has to be in the back of your mind once you see something super crazy. Yeah. In no way, hey, in no way, shape, or form was I calling out Noah. Oh, no, no, no. Noah's no. a great guy. Noah's a great guy. He's always been super kind. I, I just thought it was super impressive that he was, you know, gosh, how many years into this game and, you know, still and hitting PRs. Hitting, hitting PRs. Dude, I think that's super impressive. And, and it, it is a shame, Gabe, to your point, how people naturally gravitate towards like someone's doing something un like, it's, it's really, you know, I think those people need to kind of take a deep look at themselves and say, hey, why do I initially gravitate towards, oh, this person's cheating versus saying, hey, you're celebrating their hard work to get to a new accomplishment. You know, that's just the way I look at it. But I mean, you see it with Gordon Ryan all the time, MDV. And it's like this guy, Gordon Ryan's probably the, he's the best no-gi grappler on the planet right now. And, you know, people always come at him about steroids, but it's like, dude, this guy tells his opponent how he's going to finish him, which is purely from a technical perspective he's just so on another level but people immediately try and jab him on this other thing it's, it's yeah. really unfortunate the way it goes down like that how people naturally want to hate it's it's sad i i i don't i don't know as much about the steroid and performance enhancing stuff in the jujitsu world but what i do know is that i think it's pretty widely known that a, a lot of people are using at, at least from the stuff that I've just read and seen, it's like, it's not as in BJJ. Yeah. It's not as taboo as it is in like CrossFit where, you know, there was this like sense of everybody is natural and like, Oh, we want to be the, you know, the human machine that we've built and we're not adding anything into this except steak and protein powder or whatever. Like I think in jujitsu, at least from the stuff that I've observed, it's like a, a little bit more, I don't want to say, common but it seems like there's people who have taken performance enhancers and whoever they are i don't know but that's just my two cents the thing i was going to ask you guys about uh crossfit is like you know we're kind of getting to this weird time where some of the legends are like retiring or stepping out and going to master so like you know james hobart's a master now dan bailey's a master spieler's a master all these big names are masters I don't know if it's just me and where I'm at and like my life and my interest in the competitive fitness arena, but it doesn't feel the same to me that the, the, all the regular field of athletes that those big names are gone and they haven't been replaced by like even bigger names. Like it seems like the big names of the past are still the big names now, even though they might be in the master's division, like, is this younger crop of athletes just going to be less interesting and less captivating? I don't know. I'm kind of, I just want to ask the question, man. That's why I'm so hot on nostalgia, man. Yeah. Uh, I, dude, I, because I think a lot of people fall in that boat. Like a lot of people fall in the boat of, you know, like the, the most diehard fans of the sport, I think are, the ones that have fallen off a little bit to like this new school um, for whatever reason, you know, I, I would still love to like go back and even watch like whether it's a documentary or like yeah. have all those athletes throw out again. Like I would sit down and enjoy that thoroughly. Cause mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, it was such a big part of like my excitement for finding CrossFit and like why I started working out with it was, you know, watching Jane, uh, 
watching Jason and, and watching all those names at, at the games way back when. Um, and I think that just for whatever reason, I, I, that interest has been nowhere near the same in the past, maybe five years of, of athletes. Well, I think the legends event with rogue put on was a really great idea. And I think it was really well received. I think part of it has to do with maybe HQ, not, um, creating narratives around their athletes as much as they maybe used to. This is just a, a theory, but mm-hmm. back in the day, right. You would have cameras around telling stories about these athletes and building them up. And, and, and like, maybe it was every second counts was a good example of a movie that really did a great job. I mean, that was really back in the day. But then you'd have like these, you know, road to the games. Uh, I don't know if you remember these, but it would always have the same sound. It was, like, it was like road to the games. And it would be like a, it would be like a story about, Hey, this is um, Jason getting ready for regionals or this is rich. And you would start feeling like, you know, them better. Mm. I, I don't see, and maybe again, it's because I'm not as in it as I used to be, but I don't see much content coming out about who these people are as individuals. I just see a little bit of content about their workouts. And so I don't feel as connected because I don't know anything about them, right? You, you yeah. don't see the behind the scenes stuff. And so I personally think that for CrossFit to really thrive in the next you know, years to come, they need to be able to take people who've been part of the sport or even new people and have them feel bought in on who these athletes are, what's their story um, personally, because then, then the fans get excited. Like I couldn't tell you who the newcomers are, what, how they're qualifying for the game. It's just been a lot of changes lately. And I think they need to kind of f- refine it. That's all. I don't, th- I, I mean, I don't think I could name 10 athletes who aren't 10 athletes who I knew from the past. You know what I mean? Like the, the only names that come to my head when I think about competitive fitness athletes are the people who came up in the early years and did really well and developed these big personalities and are still relevant today but they're not necessarily even competing anymore, but there's still these like big mythological uh, figures in my mind, you know? And the other thing that seems, I don't, and I don't know what the contracts are like these days with Nike and Reebok or whoever, but like at the start of competitive CrossFit, when the games were really kicking off and Reebok signed a partnership, like those guys were signing athletes to big long-term contracts, locking up people in deals and bringing them into these big companies some of that stuff seems to be gone. It doesn't seem like there's a ton of big contracts going out there right now. I think you bring up a good point. So in regards to big contracts, I do think there's a few athletes that are getting some really big contracts, right? But are they the the same athletes who have been around for years? 100%. I think that what, um, and, and you could speak to this from Reebok's perspective, but I think there was a time, I remember when I first got sponsored by Reebok, it was like 2010, if I'm not mistaken, I flew out to Boston and I got sponsored. I was like, dude, I was like on a whole nother level. And um, Andy Stump actually negotiated that deal with me. It was really interesting. Like he, <laughs> he was like my liaison from CrossFit to like make sure that Reebok treated us right. Anyways, um, from that point on, you know, I, I don't think Reebok or anybody knew what the value of the athletes were. And so I think that at, at some point throughout the next couple of years, they paid potentially for some athletes more than maybe they should have because they didn't know where it was going. But I think now they've kind of seen this, this leveling out approach where like, okay, what value are we actually going to get from the athletes? And I think the sponsorships are more indicative with a more level playing field. Like I think before the athlete probably got the better end. Now I think it's probably more neutral. Would you say that MDV? You know what I'm talking about? 
I, so I, I, I think I agree. Um, you know, just to clarify from, from my experience, when I was working on the Reebok side, I wasn't involved in the very, very early signings of people like you or rich or anything like that. I came in a few years after those deals had been done, but what I do know is that when Reebok first got in, it was sign everybody and it was sign everybody who was really relevant, who had a big name, who was going to be successful. And they definitely did. And I, I think in, at least in my opinion, I think they overpaid for some talent early on because they wanted to lock up the biggest names in the sport and really create almost like a monopoly yeah. on CrossFit with the nano and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, having all the athletes and then the, the, there were some fr- there were some athletes on the fringe who didn't get the Reebok deals who then, you know, Nike was able to kind of pick up uh, a few people. And then the big one, of course, was Matt Frazier when Matt signed with Nike and he was starting to have some success after taking uh, second in the games in his rookie year. So, um, yeah, I definitely think there's some validity to what you talked about. And, and I, I do think that the way they're evaluating athletes has changed, uh, you know, outside of what Nike and Matt have done together, which I think is crazy. Uh, like they've done an amazing job working with him and creating uh, content around him for him and everything that they've done together. And I, I only know the yeah. fraction of it that I see, but um, yeah, it's definitely changed. I, th- I think another, another part is, um, and maybe Jason, you can probably speak more to this, like all these legends that we're talking about were, innately going to get more support from CrossFit and support CrossFit more because they were a part of it. Like everyone, yeah. Steeler, Jason, like these were all seminar staff. Chan, yeah. Right. Like now, yeah. now, you know, and I think one really, really like indicative example of this is, you know, Frazier on Rogan's podcast recently, like the most recent champ five years in a row was there and like no criticism to him really like he didn't owe crossfit anything but i think it was pretty indicative that he wasn't there like you know doing a a a crossfit infomercial on the biggest podcast on the world it was about you know him and him being a champ and he had some pretty nonchalant answers um and i think that if you would have had you know any legend from back then on rogan's podcast like if you can go back in time it would have been a much more crossfit conversation mm. because they were almost like like the, Yo, the key hand athletes hand. were married whereas yeah. now frazier's just the champ and he's like yeah i do this thing it's called crossfit you know yeah well i mean think about like back in the day right when we first got into it most of those guys were also gym owners themselves and so they were affiliate owners they were working for seminar staff and they were competing it was like a a, a trifecta right Whereas as a sport has gotten bigger and more money came in and whatnot, you have people coming in who don't own gyms, who don't really, they're, they're training to be a professional athlete in the sport of CrossFit, which is, dude, which is what Matt did better than anybody else and crushed it. Um, whereas before you had someone who is an affiliate owner who, who also competed at the CrossFit Games. It was just a different, it was a different breed in the beginning because then the sport started to grow so big that it attracted people who were there just to comp- who were there competing. And I imagine a lot of the guys at the top right now probably don't own and operate gyms. I, yeah. I, I don't know what the, uh, the statistics look like on who owns and operates gyms, who's, who's competing right now. But, you know, I, the interesting thing about Matt, Matt's podcast on Rogan, it'd be like, this would be like expecting somebody who plays in major league baseball when yeah. they go on to a, a podcast with Joe Rogan to, 
sing the praises of Major League Baseball. He's not fucking. He's not responsible for that. Like he has no obligation to talk in any way, positive or negative, about HQ and what he thinks about the affiliate community. I I, I think people, you know, we're so connected and so tied to this on an emotional level, kind of similar to what we were talking about early on with like the, the fundamentalism of like doing this thing and like, it's gotta be this way. And like, you're loyal to the cause and all this kind of crap. It's not, that, that's not the way that it is. Like, it, you know, it probably hurt a lot of people's feelings who feel that way that, you know, the answers that like Gabe was saying, it was a little, a little nonchalant, but like, in reality, he doesn't know anybody anything. It's like he doesn't know. He was just sharing. Anything. He was exactly. just sharing his perspective. Like, and there, I, and that's why when I saw some people get frustrated about it, it, it was a little interesting to me because um, you made a great analogy, right? It's like any other pro athlete going on to a podcast, and they're just going to share their perspective, their background, and they're going to talk about the things that they're they've been doing, right? It, it, they're not going to talk about the organization or the, of the sport. It, it's just. I think that um, I, I I think that it's it's a byproduct of how this sport has shifted over the years. The community shifted and has grown and changed. And there's some people that still have kind of the beginning mindset, and now it's it's evolved from that, and that's okay. You know, like I remember back in the day, things were a lot different than they were today. You know, back in 07, 08, 09, you were just trying to share as much information with as many people as you could. You were trying to connect with these people. You'd be walking around the street, you'd see someone wearing a pair of, you know innovates or, or vibrams and you would immediately connect with them, but it's evolved. And now it's more of a more consistent way of training. It's, it's, it, it, I don't know. I think it's just ebbs and flows. Do you guys remember when like the, the grid league was a hot thing for like half a second? Oh, yeah. oh the grid league. league. Do you oh, man. Jason, do you ever get hit up to be on a team? Yeah. Of yeah. course I, they tried to hit them up. So I got, yeah. I got hit up to be on the grid league and, um, it wasn't the right move for me at the time for a variety of reasons. Um, one, I was so deeply connected to HQ at the time. And it was just, it just, and it didn't sit well with, there was just parts of it that just didn't sit well. A lot of people <laughs> lost a lot of money in Greg Lee. And that, that's really unfortunate. It really you is. Know, you know, what's funny about uh, Grid League. There's like this splinter cell of Grid League in Florida that still exists. Like they, the big, the big organization fell off, right? But then there's like these little satellite teams, like these developmental leagues. And in Florida, they still exist. Like they still are doing this. There's like teams and they have uniforms. And I they, think I've seen this. Yeah, actually. It's, it's kind of wild. Yes. Only, in, only in Florida, right? Only in Florida, right? yes. Um, you know, it's I, funny. Was I was at Waterfly. Yeah, I was at Waterfly and uh, they had this mascot. <laughs> And so Wattify, uh, Amit was one of the owners of the Philadelphia something. It was the name. Yeah. And they had a giant mascot there. And he's like, I was like, oh, we, he's like, yeah, I own the, I own the grid league team. It didn't, didn't, didn't end well for us. Like, oh. <laughs> but you know, Hey, you try and some things work out. Some things don't. It's a good business lesson. Well, it's, fu it's funny because there's, there's a couple of like, um, similar types of businesses that are I don't know if they're gaining popularity right now, but like there's a professional fighters league, the PFL. Um, so I don't know if they're a competitor to UFC or UFC owns them in some weird way, but I, I do know that they're trying to put like essentially season based structure and point based structure behind MMA. 
And then there's also something I think in the BJJ world where it's similar to Gridley, where they're trying to take this uh, martial art and then turn it into more of like a traditional sport structure, uh, similar to what they did with Gridley. It's just straight like, I don't know whether or not this kind of stuff will ever take hold with the general public because it's, it's hard to transfer over like fitness into sport. I think MMA is like much closer. MMA probably has a better chance of surviving in like a season based type of structure, but like for fitness, it always rubbed me even the wrong way. Where it was like, I don't want to watch people work out as like the sport on TV that I'm watching yeah, and rooting but, for it's just but strange. lots of people did i mean dude yeah i mean you know it's really interesting because when at the time i mean dude you remember that the tennis stadium at carson was like erupting bro and it was like something i mean looking back on it i mean th- those were incredible moments and so many people you know what made crossfit really unique and i still think it does today is that 99 percent of the people that are watching it or at the stands participate in a gym or that sport which is but that's unique. what makes it, that's what makes it hard to grow that's that's the same reason it makes it hard to grow it's what makes it so so special and uh, amazing that feeling when you're there because 99 right. of the people around you are also oh man i'm gonna go home in my garage and i'm gonna do this workout later right but like the general public doesn't give a fuck about like seeing somebody work out it's super hard to make that switch unless they right. feel it and do it well each sport kind of has I mean, if you think about it, dude, you have the major sports, right? Baseball, basketball, football, et cetera. And then you have all these other ones, like the X games. Like I came up racing BMX bikes. And I remember I would go to national championships mm. for BMX bikes and it would be held like a cattle, uh, like a cattle place, right? And that's just where it stood in the grand scheme of sports. Like it wasn't big enough to be at, you know, the SAP center. It wasn't big enough to be in those places. It, it, was, it, was, a, it was a corral. And mm. the sport just only... And that had been around for a while. It had only just attracted that many people. And I think Cross is kind of finding where it falls in the order of like professional sports. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like soccer's up here and lacrosse might be right here and maybe CrossFit somewhere else. You know what I mean? Yeah. I I kind of, it's, and I don't know how you guys feel about this. I think that there's always going to be this hurdle for fitness, professional fitness, where it's like, a lot of people can wrap their mind around the fact that like BMX is a sport that takes a lot of skill and you need a certain level of conditioning and it takes a lot of practice and stuff like that. I don't know whether or not, and this is just my opinion, they're going to look at weightlifting and gymnastics and monostructural stuff and all mixed up and become a workout as a sport. They're just going to be like that. That guy's just working out. Like, I don't know whether or not the connection between, okay, this is not just exercise. This is now sport really is ever going to take hold but that's just i mean it, it, some would say opinion. it already took hold right some would say that for the audience that's attracting it's already taken hold because it's a i mean dude you have hundreds of thousands of people participating in the sport but i think what you're really trying to say is like how what is the total available market how yeah much gen- general public if you walked up to 20 people in the street and you showed them a video of somebody doing fran we go like is this a sport or is this a workout like what yeah, are they going to say but that's always been a strong debate in the in the space, right? And you have mm. some people that go one way or some people that go the other. I think time will tell. I think what CrossFit needs to do, and I think that is is just create more consistency on what the, the what the qualification process looks like, so that this way people can really get bought back in. Because right mm. now it's a little bit confusing, and we'll see what happens. I mean, dude, we got we got to just keep keep 
riffing about stuff because every week it's or every other week every month there's always something going on farming and, and coffee and jujitsu and, and crossfit and our program related dude so um guys that's like an hour we've been we've been chatting about 75 hard and uh so many other things any uh any final um thoughts uh and then we'll have to plan another one of these um, riffing sessions I think I'm going to try changing 75 hard up just a little bit, not take anything away. I think for when I hit day 26, I might add something to the nutrition side of it to dial up the, uh, the challenge of this thing. I think my, um, my approach into it with uh, the limited restriction on nutrition is probably a little too easy. I think I'm going to notch it up. Yeah, dude, you're totally slacking. You need to definitely <laughs> step it up, please. Gabe, final thoughts. Uh, well, I, to bring it back to, you know, doing 75 hard, I've been, I've been having fun with, um, the fact that there's so much consistency going into like a long period of time. Like, um, I just got, uh, uh, started doing creatine and HMB again, uh -oh. because I just feel like it's, it's a really good time. I, so I love self-experimenting. Like I love, I've, I've tried everything under the sun and I just think it's a really cool time to like with everything else being so controlled, like really see if stuff makes me feel better. Cause I do think that a lot of stuff out there is, you know, placebo or like, does it really, like you never know if you're feeling yeah. any different. So just an interesting, like I, I want to try something for like the next 25 days. And then maybe I haven't figured out what the next thing is, but because everything is so level, like yeah. it'd just be interesting to see, like, do I feel any different? Do I see yeah. any difference? I, I think the daily progress pictures are also really cool. Like just piece of data to have. Um, so that's kind of what I'm adding to it. I just want to see if like certain things move the needle since everything else is so level. I, I'm not saying that that stuff works. I just want to know because I spent a lot of money on that stuff when I used to be training. So I want to see if I like feel any. any <laughs> well, you, you're controlling all the inputs, right? You already have yeah. consistency there. And so you can see which one's making an effect. I'll tell you for me, uh, I've been taking more, I've been taking turmeric every day, uh, quite a bit of it. And I, I, again, maybe it's a placebo effect. I don't know. But dude, my, my inflammation, my joint pain has significantly improved uh, along with trying to hydrate better. Are you taking, are you actually using the root? Are you grinding the root? Or are you taking the powdered capsules? I'm taking the powdered capsules, but I'm taking one that JP recommended and he's pretty bougie. So I'm sure it has to be like a higher quality because <laughs> uh, there's so many online, right? You go to Amazon, you type in turmeric. It's like, you know, so many, but, but this one in particular, taking a couple pills a day, uh, trying to hydrate better and my inflammation, at least the way my body feels, um, especially after, you know, I, I train, you know, every day pretty hard, um, has been, I've noticed the difference for sure. Uh, you specifically know, like walking downstairs in the beginning <laughs> when I used to wake up and I walked downstairs, I would feel, I would have to walk like one, one, like I was like a three-year-old, you know, going down the stairs. Now I could find myself actually finding a normal kid. <laughs> The other thing that'll help you with inflammation is dumping the oat milk. Oh, oh, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, for next conversation, we got to talk a little bit more about uh, oat milk, uh, the grid league, uh, and <laughs> check on the uh, 75 hard. So, um, guys, I mean, dude, I, I always enjoyed talking to, to both you guys so, so much. And, uh, you know, MDV has his podcast, the intro with MDV. You can find Gabe Yanez on the IGs and MDV on the IGs. And, um, you know, the goal of these conversations is just to kind of get to know our entire team. You know, we have a really phenomenal team at NC Fit. We really do. And 
we we've had great people over the years, but right now I feel like the team has really came together strong. And um, I think we have a responsibility as a leadership team to start incorporating more people so that um, the overall community can get to know who we are better um, on a variety of different subjects. So I'll be doing more Q and A type stuff so we can start diving into it. Hell yeah. Cool. All right, I love team. You. Well, have a great day. It's a, it was, a, that was a relatively early morning start for us here on the West coast, but uh, dude, now it's ready to take on the rest of the day. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go.